Love, so please don't. I just want to say last week was one of the most humbling moments of my life, what you guys did. Uh, my wife and I were deeply impacted by it, and I just want to say thank you very much. Um, so, if you're here for the first time, uh, you can fill out a, a guest card, a welcome card in your bulletin, and drop it off at the back. We have a gift for you, and um, it's just great having you here at the Gathering Place Church. So, we love God, we love the Word of God, we love the Holy Spirit, we love Jesus, we love one another. And we love the lost. And uh, our, our motto here is heaven on earth. Jesus said, pray heaven on earth. As it is in heaven, so is it on earth. Where there's chaos in the earth, Jesus wants to bring peace. Where there's sickness, he wants to bring health. Where there's strife, he wants to, be, he wants to bring wholeness. He wants to heal marriages. He wants to heal homes. He wants to heal our nation. Uh, our nation needs Jesus more than we have ever needed him before. And... Um, on the earth, there are battles to be fought on a daily basis, whether it's in your marriage or with your children or in your occupation or in your physical body. Um, there are, life can be difficult. It can be a challenge. And so I want to address that today and talk about how we, as the family of God, as the army of God, are to approach the battles of everyday life. Um, the last few weeks we've talked about our economic situation in America and what God would have us do regarding that. Today I want to get our eyes squarely on God, okay? So let's pray and let's jump into the Word. Father, thank you so much for you. Thank you that the Word of God is our Geiger counter. It is clear, it is right, and it builds a foundation under our feet so that when the world shakes, we don't. Our houses will not fall because we're built on the rock of the Word of God, and the foundation being Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this house today. This is your house. We ask you to open up our understanding of God and what He has for our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 So today I want to talk uh, about another name of God. Now, over the last uh, four or five months, uh, I've picked a name of God periodically throughout the Bible for us to Look at the attributes and the nature of God. Because whenever you look at God, your faith rises. Your hope deepens. Your joy gets greater. When we are looking at the natural only, our circumstances, it's going to produce fear and worry and anxiety and doubt and unbelief. So it's critical that we are not like Peter, who did walk on water, by the way, which is a very cool part of the story, that a human being other than Jesus walked on water but it's when he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto the circumstances that his fear came in and began to sink. Amen? So we need to make sure that we are keeping our eyes on God on a daily basis. And so today the name I want to explore is Jehovah Nisi, which is God my... Well, literally, it says that God my banner literally means God my victory in battle. Will you say that out loud with me? God my victory in battle. Now, how many of you have some uh, areas in your life right now, some battles that need to be won? Will you raise your hand? I've got about 15. How, sometimes don't you feel like you're fighting enormous amount of battles on many different fronts? Sometimes there are seasons of chaos where it's like you're being attacked from every side. Well, I want to go to a portion of Scripture today where in, in the book of Exodus where... We find Jehovah Nisi, God, my victory in battle. And I want to say that God is aware of every battle in your life, and He is more than capable 
of bringing victory into that situation. It's very interesting that you were singing the songs you were singing this morning, Heather, because it's right in line with what we're looking at today. And Exodus chapter 16, verse 8 through 16, it says, I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 through 16. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. Those are two very distinct um, assignments that we're going to look at today that are, that are both critical to winning this battle. Joshua went down into the battle on the battlefield, and Moses and Aaron and Hur went up on a mountaintop. As long as Moses, there is not a more graphic place in the Bible that makes it so clear about the way that we win battles than right here. Look at what this says. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. Isn't that amazing? Isn't it amazing that God set it up so that would be the way that a scenario went down so that we could read this 4,000 years later and see what God's trying to communicate to us. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it. And Aaron and her, a couple critical church members, grabbed a hold of his hands and tried to yank them down. Is that what it says? And Aaron and her... <laughs> criticized Moses for being weak and decided to go to another church. Is that what that says? Aaron and her held his hands up. That's a completely different message. We'll deal with that on a day when I'm teaching on leadership. Aaron and her held his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so his hands remained steady till the sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalekite, uh, Amalek from under the heaven, under heaven. Moses built an altar and called it, the Lord is my banner. And he said, because hands were lifted up against the throne of the Lord, that's interpreted both ways, against and to, which both are true. The Amalekites were against the Lord. Moses' hand were raised up to the throne of the Lord. The Lord will be at war against Amalekites from generation to generation. There are three things that I see in this passage that brought victory for Joshua and the Israelites. And I believe they're the exact same three things that will bring victory for you and I in our daily lives. And I believe victory in our nation. I want you to look at these with me today. First one is personal responsibility. And that is Joshua courageously engaged the enemy. And the reality is Joshua was ill-equipped to fight this enemy. Joshua had never led anything in his life. This is the first mention of Joshua in the Bible. He was not a leader at this point. And the, Amal- the, the Israelites were not an army. They had been slaves for 450 years. They had never fought in a battle. They were not trained. They were ill-equipped. They had a slave mentality, and they liked to murmur. And yet, when, God, when Moses said to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to take chosen people and go down and fight the 
Amalekites, Joshua did it. He faced his battle. Family of God, the first thing I want to say to you, and this is not my main point today, but it is a critical point, and that is for you and I, for God to bring victory into our lives, you and I cannot be cowards. We cannot run away from our problems in this life. You've got to face them. You've got difficulties in your marriage, you have to face them. You have difficulty in parenting, you've got to face it. You have difficulty at work, you have to face it. You're being persecuted as a believer, you have to face it. You have sickness or disease, you've got to face it. We cannot hide from our problems. We have to be a courageous people that analyzes the situation and face it. That's why in this economic series, we just went over the last few weeks, I was not going to bury my head or allow you to bury your head in the sand regarding the economy, the economic crisis that our nation's in. I wanted to define it. I want to know exactly what it is that we are up against so that we can call upon God, find his power and wisdom and face the situation and be the people of God in a bad economic situation and come out on the other side, not only blessed, but a blessing to those who don't know our God. Amen. But like some say, you can't fix a problem if you don't know you have one. So they recognize this problem. Now, here's the thing. Joshua and Caleb, this wasn't the land of Canaan where God says, all right, I'm giving you the land of Canaan. Now you guys proactively go in and take it. That's not what was happening here. God's people weren't ready to take the land yet. They, uh, the Amalekites picked a fight with the people of God. Have you ever felt that way before? For us, it was just, uh, you know, the last few weeks, there's just been so many crazy things happening. People getting sideways, circumstances going crazy on us, and my computer blowing up and all sorts of stuff. I finally said to my wife, clearly, when this many things are happening in a condensed amount of time that don't make sense, you know what that is, right? What is it? It's a spiritual attack. It's the enemy. So what I do, I went out on my property, I walked around my property, and I prayed over all the corners of my property, and I declared the kingdom of God. I'm taking authority over the land that God's given to me. I'm facing the situation, but I'm also recognizing it's a spiritual attack. And then some of you may or may not know that just on Friday, I'm in my office, and I'm studying for this sermon, and my neighbor comes running down my driveway and says, do you see smoke in your backyard? And I run out back, and, out back, and there's a fire in my field. And so I'm trying to put five hoses together and run out there to the fire. And doggone it, I think I could have gotten it, but all the hoses were all tangled up. Like spaghetti, you know, you ever had your hoses and they're all tangled up? And I'm sitting there trying to untangle the hoses. I'm looking out there and the fire is spreading across the property. And I'm trying to untangle it. I'm like, I cannot believe this is happening right now. And I couldn't get to it. By the time I got to it, it got to my neighbor's field and the thing just exploded. And there were helicopters and there were airplanes dropping that retardant stuff. And there, there were, you know, fire, you know, five fire trucks came in our property in our backfield. And I mean, but here, here's the amazing thing. And this will be one of the points I'm going to be sharing today. Here's the amazing thing. The fire started. You say, well, I thought you prayed. Well, I did. Listen, the fire started right here. And my, my neighbor's property are about 10 feet from where the fire started. There's also properties that way. My house is this way. That way, there's nothing for about a quarter of a mile. Guess which way the wind blew. Isn't that amazing? The, the fire starts here, homes are here, and the fire, the wind blows this way. And it blew... That way, slow enough that when the fire people got there, 
that you look from an aerial view, it was on News 8, you look at the aerial view and you see the homes like this and the scorched earth is right up to the edge of every home, but not one structure was burned. How beautiful is that? But if I didn't believe that I was under spiritual attack up to that point, it's pretty obvious at this point. But what that tells me is that I'm on track. What that should tell you is that you're on track. We shouldn't immediately go to spiritual insecurity and say, oh, I must be, you know, sinning against God. Well, are you? I mean, I don't think, you know, these kind of things happen to us when we are doing our best to walk with God. I believe we have an enemy and he's out to destroy. Amen. Satan gets away with so much stuff and God gets the credit for it. It really irritates me. The enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but God has come to give us life and give it to us more abundantly through His Son. So you recognize these things, and we realize we're under spiritual attack. So Satan is picking a fight. Well, that's what was happening with uh, Israel. Look what the Scripture says regarding uh, this this battle. Um, Well, uh, actually, uh, that's on my next point. So the point is this. I'm going to jump to point two. The point is this. Joshua was ill-prepared for this battle. Yet he faced it anyway. I was ill-prepared for that battle with my little garden hose. So it was all wrapped up. I was ill-prepared to take on this battle, but I went out there to face it anyway. And God gave us victory. Now, how? Well, this is point number two, which is prayer. You see this incredible partnership between Joshua, and both of these represent you, Joshua fighting the battle in the natural. And yet here's Moses up on the mountain with his hands raised. Now, what does this represent? There's two, th- there's two things I see this as represented. Both are dependency on God. But there's two things I see, and this is the, the point two and point three in your notes. Prayer and praise. Throughout the Bible, hands raised always represent prayer and praise. It says when Solomon dedicated the temple, he raised his hands. David says, I will raise my hands to you in my nighttime as I pray to you. The Bible talks about lift up holy hands everywhere without wrath and doubt. And the lifting up of the hands represents prayer and praise. And this is so interesting. Most of us do really good in the natural fighting our daily battles with our own ingenuity, with our human energy, with our problem-solving capabilities, our own natural resources, we are fighting these battles on a daily basis. And yet, so it's because it's so easy to do that, to go there in the natural and fight natural battles. But it's so hard on the flesh to do the other part, which is the prayer and the praise. And yet, look what God, look at the pattern God has set down for us in this story. When Joshua's down there battling, without Joshua on the battlefield, without you facing your daily battles with courage in the natural, you'll never win. You can't just be irresponsible and negligent. You will fail. Your marriage will fail. Parenting will fail. If you don't show up to work and work hard, you'll get fired. I mean, you have to have good financial stewardship. You've got to fight the battles in the natural. But if that's all you're doing, you're going to fail. And this is what the passage is very clearly showing us. Isn't it interesting that Joshua is fighting his battle and he's doing it with all of his might. He's not halfway doing it. One of the things that irritates me, it's a pet peeve of mine, one of the things that irritates me is Christians and charismatic Christians thinking, oh, well, God's going to do it. And so they kind of give God half their energy. Right? That's why I say to the worship team, no wimpy worshiping up there, man. Give God every ounce of your being. The apostle Paul said, I worked harder than all the apostles. 
But not me, but the grace of God in me. Giving God all of your energy with whatever you're doing is spiritual and it glorifies Him. But if all we're doing is the natural, we're going to fail. Because here we have Moses lifting his hands. And when his hands were raised, Joshua in the natural would be winning. With his hands not raised down, Joshua, no matter how hard he works in the natural, loses. Isn't that amazing? It is not our overwhelming perfect performance that wins the day. This is a spiritual battle. This is very interesting. Man, this is just like Satan. Here are the Israelites who are a feeble people. They are untrained. They're ill-equipped. They're not organized. You know, God's preparing them to go into the promised land and... The descendants of Esau. Now follow the history here. Israel is the descendants of Jacob, who is the brother of Esau. So you have Esau's descendants, the Amalekites, and you have Jacob's descendants, Israel. And here's Israel coming out from being slaves, and they are becoming a people group. And they will eventually become an army, but at this point they're disorganized, they're ill-equipped, they're murmuring, and they're trying to get organized. And Esau, Jacob's brother, takes advantage of that. Now you remember Jacob and Esau? Esau was born first. Jacob grabbed a hold of his heel on the way out. You remember that? And there was a fight from the beginning. And you remember Jacob, the deceiver, tricked Esau out of his birthright. So Israel, Jacob, gets the birthright from his dad rather than Esau who deserved it. So here is Esau who had the right to the birthright and yet Israel had it. So here he comes trying to fight against his brother this is just like the devil do you know the devil used to be the worship leader in heaven do you know that he used to stand before the presence of god before you and i were even created do you know that he was in heaven in the presence the glory of god he had a prominent place in the economy of god and yet because he sinned against god and rebelled against god he got cast down from heaven to the earth and then god gave you and i the position of the worshipers of god And Satan hates our guts. And he wants to attack us at every chance he gets. Look at this. Look at the description of of the Amalekites. It says in Deuteronomy 25, Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked your rear ranks and the stragglers at your rear when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Doesn't that sound like the devil? When you're tired and you're weary, that's when he comes after you. Look what Peter says regarding the enemy in 1 Peter. Be alert and sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for the weak, the feeble, the straggler, the offended. And he's trying to get his hooks into you. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you. I love that. He, God himself, will restore you if you resist and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Amen. Now... This 
prayer piece is so critical. And today we're going to launch a new 30 for 30. For those of you who don't know what 30 for 30 is, that is calling everybody in, in this church to pray 30 minutes a day for 30 days. And every day I'm going to send out a, a little encouragement to you via email uh, to help you stay motivated to pray. But I believe there are many battles in people's lives in our, in our body and battles in our nation right now that we have to win. I believe this is a timely word where some of you may not even realize some of the battles you're facing, mental fatigue, depression, discouragement, physical sickness, financial downturns. Many times it's a spiritual battle. And what I want to encourage you, what I, my knee-jerk reaction is always to rebuke the devil first. Because what if it's him? Right? Rather than fighting in the natural and trying to fix it in the natural and always dealing with the natural until you say, well, there's nothing else to do. We might as well pray. I'm like, Lord, have mercy. You're giving the devil like six-month head start. Right? As soon as I see a problem, I immediately, the first thing I do is pray. Because we have authority over the enemy. And what if it is him? I'm going to smack him in the mouth first. Then, with the name of Jesus, then I want to deal in the natural and try to work it out. You've got to have these two things going at the same time. So many of you have, you, you kind of ignore the devil. You're afraid of the devil. You think, if I leave him alone, he'll leave me alone. No, he will not. Don't leave him alone. Harass him before he harasses you. How do you do that? Get up in the morning and pray. You chop the knees out from underneath the enemy when you pray. Not only that, you're building yourself up on your most holy faith. You're getting divine perspective, divine wisdom. You're getting courage. You're getting peace and faith. Man, that drives the devil crazy. One of the greatest ways to retaliate against the enemy is when he's throwing everything plus the kitchen sink at you and you have peace. It's like, oh, I'm trying to get you all stressed out. But when you're in prayer... Man, you meet with Jesus, you read the Word of God, in the midst of the storm you find peace and it drives Him insane. I also have found this. The more I realize how little I have control over people and things, the more I pray because God has control over everything. So when I find myself banging up against circumstances and people and nothing's changing, you get really irritated and frustrated, I have found you go into prayer and you begin to relinquish control and you re- put them into the hands of the God who controls everyone and everything, the God of all flesh whom nothing's too hard for, he then begins to work. And that's what's happening right here. Joshua, I guarantee you, when he's falling back, he's probably going, whoa, wait a minute, we were winning. Now we're losing. What's happening? You know, people are being killed and we're pushing back. I and mean, he's not recognizing the spiritual warfare that's going on over here. And what I'm saying is, family of God, we've got to be aware of spiritual warfare. We can't just be fighting in the natural and wonder why things aren't happening. We've got to step over here also and make sure we're praying and praising. So we're going to launch a 30 for 30 for the next 30 days leading up to the presidential election. Because who's leading our nation is critical. And I don't mean just the presidency. I'm talking about the House. I'm talking about the, uh, the, uh, the, the Senate. I'm talking about all the seats of government in our nation. The Bible says when the godly are in charge, the people rejoice. When the wicked rule, the, the, the city groans, the nation groans. And so I want us to be praying for the next 30 days leading up to this election, not only for personal battles, but for the national battle. I mean, you do realize there's more going on here than the economy. I mean, we are dealing with 
we are dealing with forces that are trying to swallow up our nation and swallow up our God. Do you hear me? This is not a, this is not a time to sit back and say, huh, I wonder if this is really a battle or not. That time is far gone, family of God. And if the church would rise up and begin to pray and intercede, our God will bring his kingdom into our nation again. But we've got to pray. We can't just fight in the natural, like vote and argue on Facebook. Okay. That can only go so far. This is a spiritual battle and we have got to get on our knees and pray. So 30 for 30. Let me give an example of the power of prayer. This is an amazing story from some missionary, a missionary family, a young um, uh, man and woman that we sent from here down to Costa Rica to reach out to kids at risk. Um, this is uh, Scott and uh, Leslie Freeman, if you don't know them. And they have, uh, uh, I think, three, three boys, right? Four boys. They just keep having kids down like rabbits. I can't keep up with them. Scott says that um, Leslie, his wife, needed to study because she was going to teach uh, in YWAM's uh, school next week. So I had Ezzy, Jude, and Kai. The boys really wanted to go swimming, so I got everyone ready to swim and told Ezzy and Jude they could play on the step until I was ready to go in. Kai is afraid of the pool, so I was confident that he would stay away until I could go in with him. I was going to go quickly clean up a big mess the kids had made uh, near the grass by the pool. While cleaning up, I realized I hadn't heard Kai in a while, so I went back. I asked the boys where he was, and they said they didn't know. I was just about to walk around the house to see if he walked that way when I noticed a dark shape at the bottom of the deep end of the pool. I dived in and saw that it was my baby lying face down. I picked him up and swam to the top. I turned him over around and looked at his face, and my heart just dropped. His eyes were open, fixed and staring, and his lips were blue. All hope left me. My little boy was gone. I climbed out of the pool and screamed, Oh no! I didn't know what to do. Leslie ran out to see what happened and I told her to get help. We ran through the house to the front yard. Leslie ran down the street screaming for help. I stood there for a moment at a complete loss. Then I laid Kai down on the grass just inside the front gate. Kai was lying there completely lifeless. Could you imagine? No pulse, no breathing, eyes still wide open, lips blue. Inside, I was dying. <laughs> I'm sorry. I knelt down on the grass in front of him, and it seemed like this moment went on forever. Neighbors were starting to come now, and they didn't really know what to do. Finally, our neighbor, Indira, uh, showed up with an absolute look of horror on her face. She got right down on her knees and shot into my face. Do you know CPR? I said, yes. She said, do it. The ironic thing is I have taken CPR and re- been recertified at least six times, but until the, that moment, I had not, it had not occurred to me to try because how can you revive someone who's dead? Meanwhile, I could hear my wife somewhere behind me saying, oh my God, he's dead. Oh my God, he's dead. So I started doing toddler chest compressions and did two breaths in his mouth and Kai groaned. His face was still completely lifeless. His eyes were open with no life in them, but a little groan came out with some bubbles. I thought this was some kind of reaction to the air that I just put in him, so I still had no hope. I did more chest compression and breathed in him some more and coughed. He then coughed. I turned him on his side and some water came out. I breathed in him some more and this happened again. I laid him on his back again and he took a gasping breath. The weird thing is that when he took that breath, his eyes were still completely lifeless. But from that moment on, life began to come back into him again. People were all around me saying, keep breathing, keep breathing. I did. 
Kai started very weakly to cry and it got stronger and stronger. People started saying he was going to make it and that he was going to be all right. I picked him up and handed him to Leslie. He was crying and then his eyes started rolling back in his head. And it was like he was passing out and nothing we did could keep him awake. Leslie screamed, we have to get him to the clinic. An ambulance had been called. But since they weren't there yet, we jumped in the car and went racing to the clinic. The doctor checked Kai out and he said he was fine, but he wanted to observe him for a couple hours. Kai fell asleep with Leslie and slept for the full two hours. When he awoke up, he laughed. He walked and said, Mama. In the other words, he knew. He was fine. And all the doctors could say is, Es un milagro de Dios, a miracle of God. We immediately left town to get away as a family. Leslie and I kept flash, having flashbacks of what happened. We were traumatized and broken. The next day, our friend in San Jose told us about a group of ladies who had been praying for us. I want to say before I read the rest of this, I believe without any doubt that if these people weren't praying, they would have lost their baby. Just like James died in Acts chapter 12, but Peter didn't because the church started praying. The next day, our friend in San Jose told us that a group of ladies had been praying for us, and one of them saw a vision of Jesus kneeling down and breathing in Kai's mouth. Now, remember, Joshua's fighting the battle in the natural. Moses is praying to God. That's you or both of those. You see that? He, uh, you know... uh, Scott is physically praying to the Kai's mouth, but the intercessors, not knowing what was happening, saw Jesus blowing into his mouth. Another one said, make sure that you tell Scott that this was not done by human hands, but by God. And what God does is perfect, so he doesn't have doubts about what happened to Kai. Here's the thing. People were saying, you saved him, but I never thought I did. I mean, what did I, what, what did I do? CPR was so minimal, but it was important. Right? The natural and the spiritual. The CPR was important. It was so minimal, it was not enough to bring a person back like that. I talked to a lifeguard down here, and he told, I told him what happened, and he said it's a miracle that does not happen. He's the head of lifeguard here in Jaco, and is, his experience with kids said they drown and they die very quickly. Adults you can bring back, but not kids. So what the lady said about it being God who did this was the only thing that made sense. And it took a huge burden off Leslie and I because although Kai seemed perfect, we were critically examining everything he did and looking for some kind of something out of the ordinary that would show signs of brain damage that he must surely have. So since God was the one who did it, we didn't have to worry about it. Now, listen to this last piece of this testimony. That night, I received an email from a family friend. He said that he had woken up from a dream at 4.30 a.m. on Monday morning. Kai was in the pool Monday afternoon. This is the same day, Monday morning, 4.30 a.m. In a dream, I saw a baby on the bottom of the pool. He jumped in and grabbed the baby and said he felt such love and compassion for the baby, but the baby was dead. He laid the baby down on the grass and saw God raise him from the dead. Then he went back to sleep. At six, that, was, that whole thing was the dream. The guy dreaming the dream is the one that dove into the pool and did that. At 6.30 a.m., he woke me up again, and God told, told him to intercede. So he did. Though he didn't know what he was praying for. That same afternoon, he received an email from my brother telling him everything that happened to Kai, and he just started shaking. So I want to say there are a lot of things that 
we can do in the natural. But if we are not a praying people, family of God, we are fooling ourselves. The enemy is getting away with murder because the church isn't praying. I want to tell you that your prayers, your individual prayers are that powerful. This guy that got woken up with that dream and, and got up and, you know, how many times has God jerked you and you start praying, right? He wakes you up in the middle of the night. He does it to me all the time. And most of the time I just go back to sleep. How many of you are with me? Come on. Many times he wakes you up to pray because he wants you to pray about something. You don't even know what you're praying about, which is one of the reasons to pray in tongues, pray in the spirit. You don't know what you're praying about, but the Holy Spirit knows what to pray about. That's Romans chapter 8, verse 26 right there. When we don't know what to pray about, the Holy Spirit will pray through us with groanings that cannot be uttered. That's praying in the Spirit. If you don't know how to do that, you can come down here. The prayer teams will be down there to pray for the sick, pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit right after church, and they'll pray for you. You can receive your prayer language. But prayer is critical. The next piece is praise. And I want to close with this. The next piece is praise. Look at the Bible says regarding the power of praise. But you are holy and thrown in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. That praise piece is also critical. You see, all through the Bible where praise brings the presence of God and the enemy falls back. You see Paul and Silas in prison at midnight, beaten and whipped for the gospel. And they begin to sing praises to God in the middle of the night. And what happens? Come on, family. What happens? An earthquake. The jail cells bust open, all the chains come off, all the prisoners, and the church at Philippi was birthed because they began to praise. You see this in Second Chronicles where they come out against the enemy and God says, you won't have to fight in this battle. Send your praisers out on the front line and just praise me. All they did was praise and God came and smote the enemy. You've got to incorporate prayer and praise into your daily life, family of God. So during this 30 for 30, I'm going to encourage you not only to pray for 30 minutes a day, but also praise. Take the names of God there in your bulletin there. Take the names of God. Begin to declare the names of God in your prayer time. Get your favorite CD. Download it to your iPod. If you pray when you walk or jog, you pray in your car, turn off the AM radio for the next 30 days. It's just going to be hell on the airwaves anyway. It's just going to get dark and ugly and nasty. Come on, family of God. Let's pray. And put the worship CD in there and begin to worship God and praise Him. Praise Him and pray for our nation. Let's let God's will be done in our nation. And I believe over the next 30 days, there are going to be some mighty breakthroughs in your personal life. And I'm believing for breakthroughs in our nation. Amen? Amen. So, if you've not signed up for 30 for 30, please fill out that guest card. Put out your, your email. Don't write in tongues because we might not have an interpreter. Write in very clear English what your email is. Also, you can uh, sign up online, info at gatheringplacechurch.org. You send it to info at gatheringplacechurch.org. You can sign up online, but I'll start sending out your daily encouragements in the morning. What I want to do right now for the last 10 or 15 minutes of our church time together is I want to activate this. I want us to launch into praise. Some of you don't praise. Right now is your moment to cross the chicken line. Some of you feel uncomfortable raising your hands. This will be a good opportunity for you to say, I'm going to try this. All right? A little practicum here. I want us to launch into a little bit of praise here. And then uh, after we praise just for a few moments, then I'm going to stand up and I'm going to lead us in prayer over our nation and pray that God's kingdom would come and His will would be done. So let's activate this right now. Okay? You've heard a sermon about personal responsibility, prayer and praise. Let's now do it. Amen? Amen. So let's stand and let's, let's get up in this.
Let's begin to call upon God to come into our lives and come into our nation. And I'm going to encourage everybody to sing, everybody to praise, and let's watch God come.
All right, grab the hand of the person next to you and let's pray over our nation. Come on. Our God is greater. We're going to continue to worship. And as we launch into this next, uh, uh, after we pray together, family, we're going to launch in a little bit of more worship. You're free to stay uh, when we launch into worship or you're free to uh, go at that point. But I want to encourage you, listen, when I incorporate praise into my prayer time, things break. It's an amazing thing. It's happened for 30 years since I started praising. I found sometimes praise is the order of the day. I have found my depression breaking, discouragement breaking, clouds breaking off of me. Uh, I've told you testimonies about how sickness has literally left my body and my wife's body when we began to praise. Praise is a powerful weapon. So as we're praising here right now, some of you are going to experience freedom and deliverance that you have not experienced in a long time. You've allowed the enemy to mount up a stronghold and it's going to crash. But also for our nation. Let's lift up our nation right now. Father, we know that Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or a tree hugger. We know that Jesus is Jesus. And we need Jesus in our nation, God. Yes, Lord. Father, we are calling upon you to fix our nation. We began on our knees when this nation was birthed. And we need to get back on our knees. And so we are right here. And I know there's churches all over this nation and over this world on their knees calling out to you. And God, over this next 30 days, we commit to praying 30 minutes a day, every day for our nations. And we are calling upon you. You have said that if my people, my people would humble themselves, seek my face and pray and turn from their wicked ways, that I would hear from heaven and I would heal their land. God, here we are in a desperate time and we are calling upon you to heal our land. Yes, God. Yes, Lord Jesus. Father, we pray your will be done in this presidential election. I can, we know through Scripture it's very important to you who leads. It's not just spiritual. It's also in the natural. You raise one up and you pull one down. Father, we are asking you to rise up godly leadership that are not ashamed of the Bible, not ashamed of the holiness of God. We pray you raise up men and women who fear God and not man. We need righteous holy men and women and seats of authority in our nation. God have mercy on us. And we don't pray these prayers in fear or doubt or unbelief. We pray them in faith knowing that you hear us when we pray. Take control of our nation, God. Okay, now this may seem strange to you, but what I've been teaching on today about the power of praise. A prophet came to town recently, Chuck Pierce, and he, when he prophesied, this is what he said. God said, I am able, I am now going to take control of San Diego, this city, because of your praise gatherings. We have to understand the power of praise, family of God. What he's saying is, when you praise me, that is a doorway for me to get into your environment. So, we're going to launch back into praise now. 
as a, as a, as a, a portal of heaven on earth. It may be into your personal life. It may be into this church. It may be into the school grounds. It may be into our city and into our nation. But God is going to come through our praise. So I'm going to say, let's lift up our praise once again and begin to worship Him. Feel free to stay in worship. Feel free to go in worship. Sign up for the 30 for 30. But let's launch back into praise in this house right now. Let's bring God into this place. Because the enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. We're gonna make our praises loud. Cause the enemy's been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. We're gonna lift our voice in victory. Oh, God. 
I think Jerry all by himself was beating the devil over the head with that thing. Now, now you guys, you guys know, you guys know that instruments are spiritual, and the Bible says, "Bring me a skillful musician that I may be able to prophesy." So this isn't performance; this is spiritual warfare. I mean, you guys get that. I just wanted to make it clear that you understood that I released you. All right, so you're staying because you want to be here and worship some more. So I just want to make that clear. If you have kids, you got to pick them up. But other than that, let's continue to worship. Well, he came and he healed me, came and refreshed me. And he washed my sins away. He came and he healed me, came and refreshed me, came and he washed my sins away. He came and he healed me, came and refreshed me, came and he washed my sins away.
carry that fountain with us.